Well, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to be able to bring the word to you this morning. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, raise your hand, and we'll, there's a couple gentlemen in the back, we'll go ahead and drop a Bible on you. If you don't have one, take it home. It's yours, our gift to you. We think the word of God is awesome as well as powerful. So we're going to jump into that on Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Hear the word of the Lord. And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Four, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with, which, with what can I compare the kingdom of God? And what parable shall I use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Well, can um, any of you give a comprehensive one-phrase definition of love? Just right here on the spot, real quick, real quick like. Well, what, about, what about like evil? One, one phrase, one, one comprehensive phrase describing joy or, or hope. Most likely, you can't. People have tried. That's why there's poetry, if you're wondering. People have tried. They've used lots of language, lots of times. You know, if you remember in the 90s, Alanis Morissette tried to help us understand uh, what it meant for the fact that life is indeed slightly disappointing and oftentimes ironic. Any 90s kids here? That it's like rain on your wedding day. It's the free ride when you... It's the good advice that you... See, you can memorize scripture. Pastored. <laughs> now, you know this instinctively, though, right? The, the complicated things about life, like love, the, 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 the things that are so macro, you can't just take a definition and drop it in there and say, this is the one line that explains all this really enormous concept. And that's what Jesus does with the kingdom of God. There's no way to take the kingdom of God and say, okay, let me just give you this one comprehensive single phrase about what the kingdom of God is. What Jesus does instead is he just tells parable after parable after parable. He keeps saying the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is, is like. 
Not, not here's the definition, but the kingdom of God is, is, is like, a, it's like a treasure or it's like a field. It's, it's, it's like leaven. It's, it's like a net. It's, 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 uh, it's like a plant. It, over and over, it is like something. And this is how he talks to the crowds over and over. And in this passage we just saw, he, he says that the kingdom of God is like a lamp. The kingdom of God is like a growing seed. And the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that turns into a mustard tree. But the parables help us see, when combined with all the parables together, what they help us see and understand is that the, the kingdom of God is this realm. It's this place of ultimate reality where the rule of God redefines the good life through Jesus. Last week we saw that the kingdom of God not only takes root in soil that's receptive, a soil that seeks to understand that's open to the word, being implanted in it. And, and as it is implanted in that good soil, it starts bearing fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. Little story time starts showing up. So today, this week, we're looking at part two of this chapter four. Three parables that are in some ways a continuation of the beginning of the parable we saw last week of the soils. And so today, we're going to look at, at Jesus' description of the entrance into the kingdom, the growth in the kingdom, and the movement of the kingdom. The entrance into the kingdom, the growth in the kingdom, and the movement of the kingdom. First, the entrance into the kingdom. We see in the parable of the lamp something fascinating. The scripture says, is, the, the version we read said, is a lamp brought in to put under a basket? What Mark actually says is very strange Greek. But it actually says, Do, does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under a bowl? What Jesus is saying there is, is the lamp myself, I am the light of the world. I have come in order that I might not be placed under a bowl, but that I might be revealed. The kingdom of God is this secret that is coming to light, Jesus is saying. That there's this mystery, but but it's a mystery so that it can be revealed. Its very purpose in being a mystery and a secret is that so people would know, would come to understand, would marvel, and would pursue what this kingdom might look like, what it might mean. All the apparent secrets of the gospel, from Jesus' identity to the mystery around all his miracles, to his power over evil, evil spirits, or to, to the authority he has in and being able to teach to the very predicament he leaves his disciples with with relation to, to the fact that he's going to some death they don't understand. All these things are meant to be revealed. They're secrets, they're mysteries, to be understood unto revelation and unto change. What Jesus is saying is that the hidden is meant to be revealed. And that's what happens, right? That's what we say, that's what we see happen. We have following Jesus' death and resurrection, we have everything explained. If you look at Peter's sermon in, um, on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he doesn't mince words about who Jesus is. The identity of Jesus is not some mystery anymore. He's like, he is the son of God who has come to die for your sins, so repent. There's no guessing work anymore. They understand what the cross was for now. They, they understand the tomb. That's what he meant when he said he was going to rise again. It all makes sense. It can be understood. It can be understood 
because it's been brought into the light. What was hidden is meant to be revealed. And Jesus is saying, what's confusing, what you're not sure about, what's secret, it's meant to be revealed. Pursue it. It's only to be revealed to those, as he says, who have ears to hear it. This parable is about hearing once again. That's true when Jesus said it. That's true when Peter was preaching it. That's true today. It's true in this moment. It's true of all the people in your circles of influence and your in your relationships, that only those who have ears to hear will hear it. And so I asked the same question I asked last week. Do, do you have ears to hear? Do, do you want to see? Because Jesus is saying, there's things to see and I want to show them to you if you have ears to hear, if you have eyes to see. I am bringing light. Do you want to see the light? That's what he's inviting you to in this moment. He's inviting you to every time you open the word, every time you greet him in prayer, every time you find yourself worshiping his name. Do do you see me? Do you want to see me? Do you want to know me? The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he kind of picks up on this theme of hearing and seeing the things that are that are veiled or that are that are hidden. He explains it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says. And even if our gospel, this good news about Jesus, even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, which is the evil one, has has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light which is on a mantle of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And Paul gets real clear in verse 5. He says, for, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Just to be clear, this is not about us. This is about somebody else. No, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves, just as his servants for Jesus' sake. And then he says, this is where it comes from. For God, he says, who said, let light shine in dark, out of darkness. This God has shown in our hearts to what? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Entry into the kingdom is through hearing. It is through seeing and perceiving the light that is Jesus, a light that has been shown, a light that has been given. You see, entrance and entry into the kingdom is a gift. It's given. It's by grace. That's such good news. Paul's saying there's some that aren't seeing it, but, but the fact that we see it is just because it's been poured in. It, the light's been turned on for us. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the light. I've come to reveal things. Do you want to see him? Do you want to see him today? So ask to hear more. Ask to hear more. Lord, let me hear more. Plead with him to see more. And the reason why is because According to Jesus, there's the central principle of the kingdom that's at work here. You see it in verse 24 and 25. Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You see, the degree to which the crowd really hears the parables, 
to the degree to which we really hear and allow the kingdom of God to be breaking in upon us, that will determine the measure to which we actually understand this God and his kingdom. Those who hear, those who hear, are those who knock until the door is open. And those who knock until the door is open will find the kingdom disclosed to them. And that's the principle. This is why Jesus says, pay attention. You got to hear. You, you, you got you to ask to hear. You got you to hear very carefully because the implications are huge. The, the implications are transformative. You, you do realize those who have more. But, but those who don't have even what they have, even the seeds that have been sown on the ground, even those things they're taken away as if they've never been there at all. It's um, something about the second half of that that seems to suck the air out of the amazing promise on that first side. Right? I think this is probably some of the cultural dynamic. Wait a minute. What do you mean what they have is taken away? That doesn't work. And, and what's really unfolding here is, is Jesus is saying... Do you want more? Would, would you like more? Would you like more revelation? Would you like to see me more clearly? Would you like to, to have the magnitude of who I am fill your heart and, and actually affect the way in which you think about life? Well, what you have, ask, ask for more. But if you don't want any more, then, then what you have is, is just going to dissipate. There's this amazing promise that Jesus wants the beauty of himself to be poured out into our souls but it must be unlocked. Understanding the kingdom of God is not a human ability. It's not a skill. It's a capacity that's created by Christ within the hearts of those who will believe. You can't break down the door of the kingdom. You can't. It must be opened to you. You can't break it down. You can't pick the lock. You can't break open the treasure in the field. It must be open to you. You can't pour it into your own soul. It must be poured into your soul by him. As, G as Paul said, it shone on us. It, it was a given to us. According to Jesus, this is what the kingdom is like. It's how it functions. There's a central principle. Those who have, there's more. And those, those who don't, don't have even what they have, it, it dissipates, it disappears as though it's never been there. And, and that kind of a reality really leads to, to three different responses in, in my mind. The first response, and this may be some of what you're struggling with today even as you hear those verses, is, aha, I, got, I knew it. The God of the Bible, this Christianity, is really, it's a form of elitist arist aristocracy. It's... It's a, it's a hyper-capitalistic religion where the rich, the, the, the elite, they have, and they're going to get more. And the, the poor and the people who don't have their, even what they have is going to be taken away. There's the haves and the have-nots, and that's not okay with me. And so I, want, I don't want any part of this. If God is going to give to some and, and not to others, if he's going to... 
is he's going to decide to whom he's going to open the beauty and the power of the kingdom to, and and not to others, then I I don't know that I want to be a part of that kingdom, that so-called good life that he has. I, I think I'll just go my own way. I'd rather be a part of a kingdom of my own making than to submit to the kingdom which he's describing here. I just don't think I can be a part of that. I think Jesus would answer you if that's even a portion of what you wrestle with. He'd say, you're not, you're not hearing well. You're not, not really, really listening. You're not thinking it through all the way. You see, I'm the one, Jesus would say, that, that said to the religious elites, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. Over the history of the world, the people that have received the gospel with open hearts have primarily been the poor and the marginalized, not the elites. The have-nots in the kingdom are the ones who decide that they have no need of me, Jesus would say. And therefore, they don't even hear my call to come. Though my call rings out, it is a light on a lampstand. Maybe that's not where you go. Maybe you realize, okay, wait, so there's, if you have, there's more to be had, and so I'm going to acquire the kingdom. I'm going to, I'm going to earn access. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deserve entry into this particular realm. I'm going to receive the, the kingdom by, by merit. I'm going to acquire the kingdom for myself. And, of course, I'll use good religious methodology. I'll... I'll be obedient to whatever the laws are in that particular system. And by so doing, I'll put the king of the kingdom in, in my debt. And, and at that point, he'll probably be glad to have me, especially in light of some of the other yokels that are clearly there. I mean, I am kingdom entourage kind of person. Look at all I have all I've done. Look, I think I am kingdom material. Jesus' answer to this would probably come out of Matthew chapter 7, where he says, and by the way, if there's even a hint of what I said that, that strikes home, if there's a sense of like, I belong to the kingdom because of what I offer, these words may be for you. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Like, oh, okay, so just do the things of the kingdom and then you're good to go. Listen. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and and cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, man, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's a lot to unpack in that particular thing, so I don't have time for that. But, but he's looking at people who are saying, I conform and deserve access because of the law. And what does he call them? Workers of lawlessness. Loved ones, you can't earn access into the kingdom. It must be granted by grace. And so this is maybe the third road. Lord, I want to hear you. I want to understand. I want want to see 
but I know that I'm blind and deaf, mostly blind and, and mostly deaf, and I'm prone to seek my own way. I'm prone to try and earn merit with you. I, and so I come empty-handed. I'm, I'm going to show up with nothing, and I'm going to bow myself and ask and submit to the ways of your kingdom. So will you give me ears to hear then and eyes to see? Will you take me into your kingdom? I have nothing. I claim nothing but Jesus. See, Jesus redefines access to the fullness and the flourishing of the good life to be something that's available to those who tune their ears to him. They must be tuned to him, not to you, not to your ways, not to your record or your merit. It's a heart, the eyes of the heart being turned towards, towards him. So entrance into the kingdom is by grace and by grace alone. It's a gift. But growth in the kingdom, wouldn't you know it, is also by grace. See in the second parable that growth in the kingdom comes by grace. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What we see in this parable is, is that growth in the kingdom, first of all, seems invisible. It, it, it's, it's slow. It takes place over time. And sometimes it's just imperceptible. And, I, and let's be honest, we hate that. I hate the amount of time it takes to become a different person. We want it now. I want to be free now. I want to be changed now. I, I want these pesky things to disappear now. We, won't, we don't want seeds. We want Jack and the Beanstalk beans, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of kingdom stuff we want. We want to be able to plant it, and tomorrow we climb to heaven and all is well. We want magic beans, not kingdom seeds. But seeds don't explode, not overnight. They're organic. It's not dynamite. As Art said a few weeks ago, you don't get holy in a hurry. And that's how the kingdom works. Growth in the kingdom is gradual and it's progressive. You can even see the progress. He says, what? What did he say? First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And sometimes you're just looking and saying, seriously, we're still at ear? Where is the fruit? But loved ones, God, God grows things. It's actually a huge principle across the entire length of the scripture. God grows things, and he is not in a hurry. Which is so fitting for our cultural moment right now when everything, of course, is slow and takes its time, and you don't need anything instantaneously in your life or in mine. So um, if you could text me that right now, that would be great. Um, 
The other thing it shows us is that the growth of the kingdom is, is not under our control. The seed, it says, out, the Greek word is automatically grows. It grows without human intervention, without any apparent human effort. God causes the growth, and that's true in you, and that's true in other people. And sometimes it's frustrating in you, but it's always frustrating in other people, right? Your children, your spouse, your friends, your coworker who claims Jesus, oh my goodness, like seriously, can you not be growing faster? It would affect me greatly. But even Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, all the things that have happened in this church, to be clear, Paul says, I planted and, and Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. God's not in a hurry, and he's the one who causes the growth. Do you see how I'm just taking control out of your hands? So who can't force the growth. And sometimes I think we find ourselves thinking you can stand over a seed and go, grow, grow. You know, if you're any gardeners or planters, berating your plants will not cause them to bud any faster, will not cause them to grow. We, it's illusion. We grow by grace because we grow from God. And the seed, the seed of the kingdom, the seed of the gospel has within it all that it needs to germinate, to, to generate an entire crop. And therefore it must be planted. We also don't understand how growth in the kingdom really works. You see there it says, the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how. And there's a mystery around how we become more like Jesus, about how God grows us into kingdom beings, into people who respond to the good life. It's a mystery there about how, how the reading of the word or showing up on a Sunday and, and worshiping and singing songs, how, how it actually forms you, how it transforms you. You don't know. You, did, you don't really know if today's going to be one of those days where, where God meets you in a really powerful way and, and things are altered fundamentally or if it's just going to be another time where you came, you heard, you saw, you conquered, you left, um, and, and it was like, okay. You, you don't know. You didn't know. We don't know how it works always, which is why we can't predict it. We can't say, if I go and do this thing, it's going to yield this, because you don't know. It might, or it might not. I remember uh, reading... Uh, a book from Andrew Murray on, on humility, and I read it, and it was one of those wildly transformative reads. I read it during a silent retreat, so clearly God had to use it, right? I mean, and so, I mean, it was like this, this book, like, radiated power, you know, and about a year later, I was kind of struggling in my spiritual life. I was feeling really dry with God. I didn't really know what I wanted to read, and I was like, aha, Andrew Murray will come through for me. So I pick up Andrew Murray, and I start reading, and it was like, chewing grass. I mean, it was like, what is this? I don't remember any of it being this boring or this ineffective. And you see, I, I, went, I went back to the book because I wanted something, right? I, wa I, wanted to, I wanted it to yield for me, but that's not how growth works. I mean, I wish that's how it worked, right? Could you like to predict all the things that are going to change you? You don't know, which is why we must avail ourselves of the means of grace. We don't know how it works, and yet we participate we participate. It says that the sower does sow. 
And then he gets up and he goes to bed. He gets up and he goes to bed. He gets up and he goes to bed. And, and the, the, it starts to yield. There's these rhythms of waiting, these, these expectant rhythms of watching. Some, something's coming. I, th- I think something is growing. I'm, I scattered and, and I'm waiting for it to manifest itself. It's our participation in the rhythms of grace. And it's in those rhythms of grace that the, that the principle of the kingdom applies again, right? To those who have, more will be given. If, if you find yourself having a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of knowledge about God, a little bit of knowledge from the scriptures, a, a little bit of movement through, through worship, or a little bit of, of connection through prayer, and those who have, more will be given. It's one of the amazing things about, we were on a staff retreat this last week, and um, just spending some time reading through the scriptures and, real, and praying through them and realizing that certain things just pop off the page and, and others not. And what pops off the page in my soul doesn't have anything to do with pops off the page in Corey's or in, or in Michael's. But our participation in it allows there to be an opportunity for it to emerge and explode off the page. And God does his work and he uses it and it grows imperceptibly slowly at times. Though it is imperceptible, though it is unmistakable. You take this parable and connect it to the next parable of the, of the, of the, of the, of the mustard seed that grows into a tree. It starts imperceptibly small, but it grows into something that can't be missed. And that's the reality of growth in the kingdom, which is why one of the most important exercises we can do is to look back over the growth that God has brought about in us and celebrated in other people. Because in that, we're reminded to, to take heart. That, that when we stand next to something that has borne fruit or something that is robust or a tree that does really cover, we can say, there was a day there was no tree here. There was a moment where this was not true about me. There are things that used to be that are no more. Praise the Lord. And then there are things that, that never used to be, and now, and now they're true. It's, it's almost like God has embedded some character in there, and, and what I used to work really, really hard to bring about is now just manifests. There's a, there's, a, there's a tree. So we take heart, and we celebrate, and we remember. He's working in you. He's working in you. And Lord willing, you're participating. You're going, help me see, help me grow. Help me become more. I want to know you more. I want to grow more. I want to be freer. Here's the the promise that Paul says out of Philippians chapter 1. He says, and anytime this phrase can start with, and I am sure of this, that's just nice. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. See, he's the entrance. He's the one who began a good work in you. It's by grace that you enter, and he's the one who's going to bring it to completion. And we'll be able to look at one another and be able to see the grandeur and the beauty of what God has manifested. He's going to do it. Entrance into the kingdom is by grace. Growth in the kingdom is by grace. And the movement of the kingdom is a movement of grace. The movement of the kingdom is, and the parable of the mustard seed points not so much to the growth that takes place, but the contrast from what it began. It began as this humble kind of 
pathetic, underwhelming, tiny little thing that didn't look like much at all. And then it grew into something that no one could have imagined. That's what the parable's about. It's saying it starts at this, this small little irrelevant, and, and it grows to something incredibly distinct and powerful and, and, and significant, and so much so that like, things are brought to it. Things flock to it. Birds come under its nest. I mean, make their nests under its branches. It blossoms into something enormous. So these humble beginnings that become and that head to a grand finale. And you know what's amazing is that this is actually the story. This is actually the story of the New Testament. It's the story of the gospel, right? That from the humblest of beginnings, from, from embryo, the kingdom of God showed up. And it became a baby who became a man from Hicksville, Nazareth, who, who would die on a cross. And this humble, small beginning that by the time Jesus leaves in the ascension, there's probably roughly about 500 or so people who've seen him and maybe some of them, at least 120 of them, seem to kind of believe in him. And then Pentecost happens. And 120 or maybe 500 turn into 3,000. And it says, as we looked at the book of Acts a couple of years ago, that, that, and, and they multiplied, they added daily, and they multiplied, and they added daily, and they added daily, and they added daily, and the kingdom began to grow. It grew, started this tiny little thing. And a hundred years in, researchers say that across the Roman Empire, it was probably somewhere between ten and 17,000 Christians in the Roman Empire after a hundred years. So not a ton. There's six million people in the Roman Empire at the time. So, you know, like point point zero zero one, so small, tiny. Still, still just, just a little tiny twig coming out of the ground. By 180 AD, it's 108,000 believers. By 250 AD, there's 2.1 million believers in the Roman Empire. By 300 AD, there's 6 million believers in the Roman Empire. By 312 A.D., just 12 years later, there's 9 million believers in the Roman Empire. And most researchers agree that by 350 A.D., there's about 31.7 million Christians in the Roman Empire of about 60 million people. So about 52% claim Christ, claim that he is the light indeed. I know some people say, oh, hold on, but Constantine came in and he forced everybody to be Christians in 312 A.D. And, but, but if you really look at the reality, why did Constantine move towards saying, I think the, we should make this a Christian nation is because the movement of Christ over the previous hundred years had been so incredibly like, life-transforming, it was saturating every element of the Roman Empire that it fit 52%. Now, we're all aware there's been ups and downs in the kingdom of God. The movement of the church has had its significant ups and significant downs, and yet every time there's been a potential disease that might kill the church or some kind of storms that would tear it out, it springs back to life, whether in the Reformation or the Great Awakenings in the United States and, and in Britain, right in the midst of the Great Enlightenment taking, taking place. Continue to grow and reignite new branches, new shoots, and now if you look at where the movement of the kingdom of God is taking place, it's not, it's not here in the West a ton, but you, you look at Africa and you look at, you look at South America and you look at Asia, and especially in China, and like it's exploding. Most recent, we're talking somewhere between 2.3 to 4 billion people who would claim Christ. It started with an embryo in Mary's womb. And it, and it grew into this 
into this thing that has affected every quadrant of the world. To those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The kingdom of God is on the move. It's a movement of grace. It's like Jesus is saying, he's standing there, so come back to this moment. He's he's standing there in front of this crowd, and, and he's saying, here's how the kingdom's about to work. It's going to start out like this tiny little seed. And it's going to go into the ground. And before it's all said and done, there's not going to be a continent, a nation, a tongue, or a tribe that is not going to worship my name. That's the movement of the kingdom. That's the power of the kingdom. It's a movement of grace. And the movement of grace continues now, right? It continues now in you and through you, through me. It's, it's spreading through us. It is to spread through us. That's the means of the kingdom. You see, the, outcoming, the outcome, the, the overflow of, of the changed life in us, of God growing his kingdom in us, is that we overflow and manifest the kingdom everywhere we go. That, that's what it means to hear and then, and then t- to do, it, it's, it's actually the picture of the reaping, right? That it, it's ripe and you recognize it and you move towards it because this is the fruit of the kingdom in you and around you. And so we move. We move in towards the spiritually blind and deaf, the emotionally broken, the relationally poor, physically needy, and we we create a protection, a, a shadow in which all of those people and more can come and build their nests and, and hear truth and, and be loved. And that there is, know that there is one who is offering them grace, who is calling them, who is whispering to them, if you have ears to hear, hear. And so we pray Father, show us how your rule is growing in our life. And we say, show us how your kingdom is growing unstoppably around us because we want to be part of that story. We want to be part of that kingdom. How do we stay people of that kingdom? We have to find ourselves repeatedly coming over and over back to the one who offered that grace to begin with. You see, the world's been changed by, by individuals choosing to move with the power of Christ in them out into places that were unknown and uncertain, and the kingdom of God has been grown and changed. And you're a part of that. It's true of you, too. It's not just Wilberforce, Right? It's, it's, it's you and me. It's, it's, in the ordinary, it's in the radically ordinary moments of our lives. And the only way the radically ordinary moments of our lives are going to be infused with Christ is if we see him, if we look for him, if we ask to hear, hear from him. And there's no clearer way in which we do that than not just through hearing the word, but coming and taking that which he said is the reminder of who he is. You see, because you can't come and take the cup and, and take the bread without realizing that he's the one, right? He is the seed that went into the ground and died. 
And as he died, he then became something so significant that you and I could come and nest in his branches. And you're safe there, which is why you can go out there and risk anything, because you're safe there. He's got you. And this reminds you that he's got you at the cost of his life, at the cost of the kingdom, at the cost of leaving his father for you. This is how you know, this is how you remember, and this is how we're galvanized, reawakened to the reality that we're part of a kingdom, and he's growing it in us. We've entered through grace, we're growing in grace, and now we get to move out in grace. And so this is your meal of grace so that you can go take this everywhere you go, including your families, including to one another in your communities and And there is a world out there that's longing to be brought underneath it, even if they don't think they are. So let us be those people and let us come and feed on the beauty and the power of Christ that we may be people of beauty and power in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We came because of grace, by your grace, and now we want to move out in the power of of what you have done for us, not in our own. We don't want merit or claim. We have nothing to commend ourselves but Jesus. And so would you, would you use our meager offering? Would you use our blindedness and our deafness and and in our cry to see more of you, know more of you, and become more like you? Would you allow us to have great effect for the kingdom of God? And we get to enjoy and celebrate and delight in that. Thank you for this meal. Thank you for what it reminds us of. This is love, that you would lay your life down for a friend. So we receive that today. Nourish us, strengthen us. Help us to see and taste your kingdom as we take these elements to the praise of your glory. We worship you, Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus, this is a meal for you. If, if, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, we would long to have a conversation with you. Um, after the service, I'll be in the back. I'd love to, to talk with you if you have questions about what the kingdom of God is like or what it might look like to, to move toward Jesus. But if, if, if you belong to Christ, this is your meal of refreshment, of renewal, of, of awakening, of strengthening. And so come, receive the body and blood of Christ for you.